Good afternoon. It's so nice to have you with us as we start a new sermon series, uh, doing what a lot of churches do and just spending the month of August looking through some psalms. And uh, today we're going to look at Psalm 27. I want to start off by asking the question, Montana is known as the what? What's our slogan? The treasure state. So Montana is known as the treasure state, but if you think about it, very few of the things that we consider as treasures always existed in that form. Most have been altered by some harsh force over time in a manner that we would consider having brought improvement or added value. Consider uh, something that's found pretty common throughout the state. Consider sapphires. You guys familiar with how sapphires are formed? Most geologists agree that these stones existed deep within the earth in a more common form, and then something subjected them to high temperatures and extreme pressure, which transformed the rocks at their very elemental level into what we would consider a gem, into what we would consider a treasure. And then earthquakes and volcanic eruptions brought them up closer to the surface where we sometimes find them. In other words, jewels or treasures are often a result of forces that we would consider unideal, like heat or weight or displacement. Um, For the next few weeks, I want to show you how the Psalms are a series of poems or songs that follow a similar pattern. The writer often starts off with one emotion, which is not a gem or a treasure of an emotion. Things like fear or injustice or insecurity. But then a choice is made. Something is exerted or something is altered. And then that treasured state is experienced. Uh, Here's a personal example. Uh, This last week, I lent out my truck to some friends who uh, took it up camping uh, up uh, up in Glacier. And they came back and it was really, really trashed like french fries and candy wrappers, and I was really upset. And I took it to Bozeman, and I was cleaning it out, and uh, underneath the driver's seat, I found my wedding ring, which would have been missing for nine months. (laughs) I've been looking for that for nine months, and it was under my seat. I wasn't happy uh, about the state of my truck, uh, but it led to something that I was extremely glad to discover. If you haven't already, please turn to Psalm 27, where we will examine a poem or a song where the author shows us a really advantageous emotional pathway. Psalm 27 is all about the benefits of letting our anxiety, which is inevitable for many of us, Psalm 27 is all about the benefits of letting our anxiety signal to us that God is beautiful and God is faithful. Let's focus on how that happens uh, in in the song and then what that means for us. I'd like to talk about Psalm 27 in two quick parts. In section one, I want to talk about kind of the overview and the unique features and the structure of this song. And then in section two, I want to talk about three ways, according to the songwriter, according to the poet, that worship or adoring God can alleviate our anxiety. And I think that's relevant for each one of us. All right, section one, overview, unique features, structure of Psalm 27. I want to start out by pointing out that Psalm 27 is a poem that gives voice and even affirmation to the anxious heart. Are you an anxious person? If you're an anxious person, you've probably noticed that a lot of sermons about anxiety essentially just tell you, don't be anxious. And you're like, well, I I wish it was that easy. 
And uh, I think Psalm 27, in several ways, is affirming to us that anxiety is a natural thing. Anxiety is part of the human condition. Anxiety is something that's absolutely going to flare up from time to time. So I want to just take a minute to connect with uh, some of the ways that the writer of Psalm 27 is giving voice to the fact that they are often anxious. And uh, as we see that in this particular poem or song, it should affirm us that, that anxiety in itself isn't the wrong thing, specifically when it prompts us to follow the pathway of this songwriter. Let's look at verse 2, and let's look at how, uh, how this, this poet is talking about not only are they anxious, but they're often experiencing that anxiety with, with extreme intensity. And uh, Psalm 27, 2 says this, When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. In this translation, it uses the phrase to devour me. In other translations, it uses the phrase when my enemies want to eat my flesh. And I'll just say really quick, I think there's at least two ways that we can feel slighted or threatened by others. The first is unintentional. Maybe someone keeps forgetting your name. Maybe they just kind of act like you're beneath them. There's probably a half dozen ways that somebody can, can agitate you or make you feel snubbed without us even being totally certain that they're against us. But that is not what this songwriter is talking about. This is different. The writer says that evildoers are trying to eat my flesh. And so if there are two categories of people that cause us stress and worry, the unintentional and the intentional, this this song is about the anxiety that comes from when people are overtly and intensely against you. And I hope that not everybody is going through some sort of conflict like that right now, but surely some people can relate to that. Maybe there's a person or a force in your life that has the potential to consume you right now. Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a business rival, maybe it's bankruptcy. But if there's anybody here that feels like there's some sort of tension or conflict in their life that is just out to overwhelm you, you can relate to the writer of Psalm 27. You can understand the anxiety that they're giving voice to. How about in verse 3? It says this in verse 3. Though an army besieges me, my heart will not fear. Uh, In some translations, it says, though a camp is marshaled against me. So verse 3 is is talking about when the poet says, sometimes, sometimes like there might be like, there might have, this might be David talking about a time when a literal army was camped and out against him. Um, but surely we can relate to anxiety that comes from the perception that there is a group or an organization that's out to get us. Maybe there's a particular political party that makes you feel like there is a group out to get you. Maybe when you watch the news, world events make you feel anxious. Maybe you're actually in like fierce competition with, uh, with a business rival. Maybe you're, you're tragically in a family squabble. But if you've ever felt anxiety because it feels like there's a group out to get you, you can relate to the, the writer in the situation here in Psalm 27. How about in verse 12? It says in verse 12 that one of the reasons that, that this poet feels uh, anxiety is because there's been untrue testimony with violent intent. And so that verse 12 introduces us to the idea that sometimes people lie or speak untruly about us. 
And of course, this is a huge sense of anxiety. Maybe somebody said something that, about your kid that your kid did not actually do. Maybe there's gossip in the neighborhood surrounding you that's inaccurate or unfair. Maybe you're actually getting taken to court right now by somebody who is a liar or a con man. If untrue testimony is causing you anxiety, then you, you can relate to Psalm 27. You can understand this perspective. And let me wrap up this point with verse 10. In verse 10, the songwriter says, My mother and father have forsaken me. And if we're honest, a lot of times our deepest anxiety comes from some sort of pain that we went through in the past. My mother and father have forsaken me. And maybe there's some wounds in your past that cause you worry and anxiety because people have let you down in a way that causes you to fear that people will continue to let you down. Maybe you've been hurt in the past in ways that haven't fully healed. If any of this brings you feelings of anxiety, any of these four categories, you can understand that there's other people who have walked and, and sought out God, who have experienced anxiety in those same triggers, those same circumstances, those same causing factors. That's one thing that I think is really interesting and unique about Psalm 27. It's not just shaking its finger and saying, tisk tisk, don't be anxious. It's saying, I can relate to those feelings. These are ways that I've also experienced anxiety. Another really cool thing about Psalm 27 is that there's a, what I call a relatable duality. Okay? Let me talk about what I mean by that. I want you to notice uh, that the, the songwriter is affirming that God is the source of help. And if you have time to circle these or look them up later, in, in verse 2, in verse 3, in verse 5, in verse 6, in verse 10, the writer of Psalm 27 is saying, God is the source of all help. But then in verses 9 and 13, the narrator is saying, God, will you please help me? Isn't that interesting? That the Bible is telling us that we can recognize that God is the source of something while also crying out to God to provide us that thing. That's what I call a duality. That's what I call um, dimension. Everybody just take a quick glance around the church. There is nobody else in the room right now that is drawn on a piece of paper. People of faith are not two-dimensional. We're three-dimensional. We're complicated. We often have a duality. And what Psalm 27 is saying to us, which I think is encouraging, is that you can recognize on one level that God is the source of something, while also crying out to God for that thing. I wish I had more answers as to how that all works. That's not really what the psalm's about, but it is showing us that that's absolutely something that can be true about us. We can believe that God is a particular something even when we are starving to experience that something. It's a really cool part about Psalm 27. All right, the third and final thing that I want to show us that is just so beautiful about Psalm, this Psalm, Psalm 27, is this. The poet actually shows us how he or she steps from anxiety into the treasured state, which in this case is adoring and worshiping the beauty of God. The poet is actually showing us, uh, it says that it's a psalm of David. Uh, we know historically that sometimes uh, some of those psalms were written by the poets in the court of David. So when I say he or she, I'm not trying to be all liberal and with the times. I'm just saying we honestly don't know who wrote it. Uh, and it was somebody who, who knew anxiety. And whoever wrote Psalm 27 shows us how they step from anxiety 
into this treasured state of a better place that we would all want to identify with and live within. Let me very quickly read the first four verses of Psalm 27. And as I do, I want you to notice the transformation that takes place. There's these external forces that are causing anxiety, but that that brings the songwriter into a different, better, more ideal, treasured state. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Who should I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besieges me, my heart will not fear. Uh, though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. So there's, there's anxiety, there's fear, and listen to what happens in verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this, this uh, only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. In other words, we already pointed out at least four things that are causing extreme anxiety in the life, in the heart, in the soul of this person. They're experiencing extreme worry and anxiety, just like we inevitably do from time to time. But then, the poet tells us, when that anxiety strikes, I turn my attention to the beauty of the Lord and I find myself in a better emotional and spiritual place. Have you guys ever heard, uh, I'm sure you've heard of that exper the experiment. It was done all the way back in the late 1890s by that guy Pavlov and his dog and the bell. Do you guys remember that? Most people don't know that Pavlov was not a psychologist. He was not a behaviorist. He actually studied digestion. So he was studying digestion in dogs. And he noticed every day when his assistants came into the laboratory, his dogs would start salivating because they were expecting that they were going to get a treat. And he thought that was really interesting, and so he started doing some experiments. And uh, eventually, uh, he did the famous one that you probably heard about in, in high school, where every time he would ring a bell, he would give the dog a treat. And after only a day or two, by ringing that bell, the dog's mouth would start salivating. The reason that I bring that up is because he was the first person that kind of illustrated that we have two potential responses to stimuli. The first is unconditioned. Like the first was just when the people walked into the room, the dogs just naturally thought they were getting a treat. That's an unconditioned response. And then he went on through the bell and through some other things to show that you can have a conditioned response. You can train yourself to respond to stimuli in a different way. What I love so much about Psalm 27 is it's telling us that anxiety is basically an inevitable component of life but we often respond to it in an unconditioned way. What are some of the unconditioned natural ways that we respond to anxiety? Maybe some of us light up and smoke a cigarette. Maybe some of us pour a glass of alcohol or two. Maybe some of us eat a gallon of ice cream. Do you notice I didn't make any eye contact when I said that one? I didn't want anyone to go home and be like, Did he, why was he looking at me when he said he'd get on ice cream, right? Some of us get so anxious, and I'm not making light of this, we just put on sweatpants and don't leave the house for a day or two, right? Some of us have a problem with social media, and maybe we go online and feel like that's giving us the control that we don't have in our anxious state. Uh, what I'm trying to point out is these are all, in a loving way, I'm trying to point out these are all unconditioned responses to anxiety. And what's so beautiful about Psalm 27 is it's telling us we can have a conditioned 
response to anxiety. Because what the songwriter is doing in, in this beautiful song is when they experience anxiety, through grace, through discipline, they remind themselves that God is beautiful. God is faithful. God has order in our lives. And we can focus on that. We can let our anxiety drive us into that realization, which leaves us in a far better spot than we were at any time up to that juncture. The writer of Psalm 27 is telling us that they are an anxious person. They know anxiety. They share at least four of their triggers with us. But when anxiety begins to set in for them, their response is conditioned. They respond by becoming a worshipful person. And we just saw when I read verses 1 to 4 that anxiety hits, this person turns their thoughts to the beauty and the presence and the availability of God. And I'd suggest that in addition to just trying to encourage us, this psalm is also a model for us to have that same conditioned response to anxiety. Don't eat a gallon of ice cream. Don't light up a cigarette. Don't stay in your house for two days. When that anxiety hits, remind yourself, God is beautiful. God is in control. God has a plan for your life. It's not easy. It doesn't happen right away. But I believe this psalm is reminding us from somebody who experienced it that we can condition ourselves in that way. Let me wrap up in the next couple minutes with three ways that I think this psalm also shows us that adoring God, worshiping God, helps alleviate our anxiety. The first one is this. It tells us in verse 5 that by focusing on the beauty of God, it helps the poet grasp the likelihood of the Lord's future presence and interaction. Let me read verse 5 really quick. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me up high on a rock. So we've already had kind of these four verses of anxiety and worry, uh, but, but there in verse 4, by, by reminding that we can be conditioned to, to look at the beauty and the order and the control of God, all of a sudden the songwriter at that point is reminding themselves of the likelihood of the Lord's future presence and interaction. Let me try to think of a personal example of a way that focusing on the beauty of God and who God is helps us grasp the, the likelihood, the future, the likelihood of God's presence and interaction. About three years ago here at the church, we were reading through the Bible. And uh, when we were reading through the, the book of Ezekiel, uh, it's just full of these really strange visions that God has given that prophet Ezekiel. And we came across this one that I had never heard before. I was not familiar with it. And it's in chapter 47. And in Ezekiel chapter 47, it says that, that in the end times, and I don't know if it's literally going to happen or not, the Bible hints that it is, but it's also a metaphor, it's an illustration. Regardless, it says in Ezekiel 47 that the, the, the tabernacle, the place in Jerusalem where God's presence dwells, it's going to have water that leaks out the front, right? Here in Montana, we can relate to things that leak, especially roofs. But this water is going to be healing water. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to flow down towards the Dead Sea. And, and, and when this fresh, this fresh water is so healing and so powerful that when it gets to the Dead Sea, it's going to reverse the bitterness and the saltiness of that water. And all of a sudden, not only the river, but the Dead Sea will be teeming with life. And it says that it's a vision, it's a dream. It says that trees are going to come up on the embankments. And those trees are going to be so um, powerful that even their leaves are going to be medicinal. And I thought to myself when I read through that vision, what a beautiful glimpse at a beautiful God. 
God is saying that in the end times, one of the things that he wants to show is that he has healing for the nations, healing for Israel, healing for you, healing for myself. And um, in the time since, I've found myself in several situations where I kind of had that radar in my head. I don't know if I want to get involved here. This is a messy situation. This person needs a lot of help. This person needs a lot of assistance. And then Ezekiel 47 comes to my mind, and the beauty of God, that God wants to bring healing to people, reminds me that our job as God's people is to be facilitators and bringers of that same healing. So that's just a quick example of how Psalm 27 is telling us that by focusing on the beauty of God, it helps us anticipate the Lord's future presence and interaction. Another thing that we see here is when we focus on the knowledge of the beauty of God, it brings about experiences of the beauty of God. Let me read verses 7, 8, and 9 before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Notice how it, it moves from like knowledge to experience. Hear my voice when I call, Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says, if you seek his face, your, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me, teach me your ways, lead me in the straight path. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait on the Lord. And if you have time this week to read through Psalm 27 in its entirety, there's this beautiful transformation that takes place where, where by talking about the knowledge of how God is beautiful, he go, the, the songwriter goes on to experience that beauty. So I just want to challenge you guys, whether it's through worship here at Big Sky Christian Fellowship, whether it's through getting to church a little bit early at another church that you attend, whether it's by writing down intriguing things that you're learning about God as you're reading through your Bibles at home, um, whether it's about putting Bible verses on on your, your, uh, your mirror or places that you look. When we focus on the beauty of God and we build up our knowledge of who God is, Psalm 27 is telling us we're that much more likely to have an experience of it. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Um, for the last couple of years, uh, you know, we have to read here a lot in the winter when things get dark and you can't always be out and about as much as you want. And um, I started to read a lot of books about Arctic explorers. And uh, you know, they're just like holed up in their ship all day and they're frozen in Antarctica and there's nowhere to really go and nothing to do and they're all getting scurvy because they're not eating enough you know, vitamin C. And they're, and they're, but they are writing about these beautiful things that they're seeing. And as I'm reading just about the beauty of the Arctic and winter places and I'm in front of the fireplace with a blanket on, my wife would often walk by and say, hey, do you want to come out and go cross-country skiing with me? And I'd often just be like, no, no, I want to finish this book. And then one day the irony dawned on me that I'm reading about the beauty of Arctic and winter places from the, the warmth of my living room without actually, and I'm so inspired by these great explorers, without ever actually going off into remote and wild places. Needless to say, that encouraged me to get off the couch and go up to the ranch and go down maybe hills that were a little bit steeper than I felt comfortable going down. Knowledge about the beauty of something often stirs us 
to experience it on our own. And Psalm 27 is telling us that's a principle, a spiritual principle that the songwriter has experienced that can be true for us as well. Well, at this point, I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward uh, and conclude our service uh, where we will um, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Uh, If you're a guest to this church, um, I just want to say that uh, we have an open table and you are welcome to celebrate communion with us. Um, If that's not something you're comfortable doing,